All right, fantastic. Uh, in your Bibles, if you've got one with you, you might be wanting to find John chapter 12. Uh, we're going to start from verse 20 in a moment to the end of John chapter 12. Has been fantastic already this morning. Uh, and in a way, the songs that we sang, This is Jesus in His Glory, that's kind of the point of the message. What Phil came and brought is probably some of the application. Something what Joe brought probably fits in there somewhere. God's already speaking to us. A lot of what's come through. This is where we're going today. Anyway, John chapter 12 and verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? Then Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe. Because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. So they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. 
Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that, this, that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. We come to this passage, which in so many ways, what well, Jesus announces it, is a bit of a tipping point, a turning point. Something's changed. I can remember back to my first year of university. Those who don't know, I came to Sheffield to university to study engineering. During the first term at university, I was probably feeling a bit lost, really. I wasn't really enjoying probably where I was living, perhaps not having connected to too many people. And really, I wasn't sure whether I should continue. Of course, I wasn't really getting on with that either. I, was, I remember I was praying, God, what should I do? And that afternoon, here's the massive answer to prayer. I had a good lab session. For those who are not aware of engineering, we have lectures and we have kind of practical lab sessions. Might have seminars as well. Isaac's looking very knowingly at me. Might be all sorts of things, but we this practical session and it went okay. But in that moment, I knew something had changed. God had answered my prayer, carry on, keep going. This is where you're supposed to be. This is it. Absolutely innocuous. Nothing, it was okay. It was a fine lab session. Nothing went wrong. It was okay. A very unspectacular but significant and clear answer to prayer and a real turning point for me in my first year at university. Carry on, keep going. This is where I've got, this is where you're supposed to be. For others of us, we might recognize significant moments. You might recognize significant turning points in your life, maybe a lot more significant than my first year of university. And perhaps even looking back on them, you can think actually those turning points were maybe triggered by some fairly, not particularly spectacular moments. Maybe in other cases they were. But for me, it was just that lab session. Thank you, God. That's all I need. Well, here, what do we see? A tipping point that comes with what looks like a pretty innocuous series of events. There were some Greeks who came. They asked Philip, can we see Jesus? Philip seems slightly not sure. I better ask Andrew about this. 
He asked Andrew, and Philip and Andrew go to Jesus. Now, some Greeks have come to see Jesus, and Jesus says, the hour has come. The hour has come. Everything's changed. A fairly seemingly innocuous moment. Some Greeks come. There's so much behind it. Such a build-up of hostility from the Jewish leaders, as we've looked at over recent weeks. Obviously, so much good news being proclaimed, signs and wonders being done. As we've recently looked at, Lazarus raised from the dead. The leaders meeting and plotting Leading up to that moment in chapter 11, particularly if we look there in chapter 11, verse 47, the chief priests and the Pharisees calling a meeting of the Sanhedrin and saying, what are we accomplishing? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And leading to Caiaphas, the high priest's announcement. In verse 49, you know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. So there's a lot of background. There's a lot that's been building up. There's a lot that's going on. But here in this seemingly trivial moment, oh, some Greeks have come. Great. No, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Jesus knows my time has come. Jesus explains the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he goes on to explain what that looks like and what that really means. That's what this passage is all about. Jesus declaring the hour has come and this is what that means. And he does it in several ways. I've got three pictures for my uh, several ways. First picture, if uh, it can be found. Oh, there it is. Jesus tells them in verse 24, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He starts talking about seeds dying, seeds being buried in the ground. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. Oh, my picture's gone. But if it, if it does that, it produces many seeds. Well, my picture hasn't come back either. There it is. Thank you, Matt. <laughs> I put a picture of a sunflower up there as well. Just as a nod to the fact the sunflower competition's coming back. Did you notice that in the, uh, in the church life email? But a sunflower, you can, you can notice it so clearly, like with a grain of wheat. If, you had, if I had a sunflower seed here, it would be in my hands like this. But then look at that whole head of that sunflower. Plant that seed in the ground and the sunflower grows. Got a whole head of seeds. This is life in abundance. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But this will mean death. 
It's all mean death to bring new life, death to bring abundance. One seed dying, buried, to bring much life. But he goes on and he says another thing. In verse 31 to 33, we can have the second picture. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Now is the time for the Son of Man to be glorified. It means I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. To achieve much, the prince of this world will be driven out. The, the devil defeated. People drawn to Jesus. It is through being lifted up on a cross. And he goes on in verse 35, after they challenge him for the third picture. It's like a seed being planted in the ground. It's about me being lifted up. But then he says this, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus telling them the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It's like the light is going away. He's going to be taken from them. Jesus declaring in so many different ways. Yes, the time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And this is what it means. I'm going to die. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to die for you. Right in the middle, we see this. These three different pictures, wonderful pictures. Yes, we can see Jesus a seed. Let's glorify the seed. Well, the way for the seed to get glory, it needs to die. It's going to produce abundance. If we just we don't put a crown on the seed and say, isn't this seed wonderful? No. Jesus declaring the time has come, but right in the middle of this passage, or in, in the middle of bringing those three different pictures, we see the time has come for Jesus to be glorified. And so he says this, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The time has come for Jesus to be glorified. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And we see right here in these wonderful but painful words, look at the weight of this. See the weight of this moment on Jesus. And as he expresses the weight and I'm troubled, this is, this is difficult. See his glorious prayer. 
The hour has come. My heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No, this is why I came. Therefore, Father, glorify your name. Such incredible echoes of Gethsemane. We look in Luke chapter 22. Luke 22 and verse 42. Jesus in the garden cries out in a similar way. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is Jesus. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified and see what this means. My heart is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is why I came. Father, glorify your name. Bruce Milne in describing this verse says, it's almost beyond our imaginings. No, it is beyond our imaginings. As God wrestles with God on the brink of Golgotha. He says this, the gospel may be simple, but it is not superficial. It may be free, but it is not cheap. We see the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And what is Jesus explaining? It means I'm going to the cross. This is what it is all about. And in the midst of this, we hear the audible voice of God. We hear the audible voice of God three times in the Gospels at Jesus' baptism, at the transfiguration, and here. This is the only one we see in the book of John. But as Jesus says, I'm troubled. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason. I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. The voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. It's a wonderful moment. The time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. This means the cross. And this is the gospel. We follow a crucified Messiah. We've sung it this morning. This is Jesus in his glory. King of heaven dying for me. It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. We've just celebrated it. As we've broken bread together. As we've taken the bread and drunk the wine. This is Jesus in his glory. This is the glorious truth. The gospel. He died in my place. He died in your place. He died in our place. This is Jesus in 
his glory. So here he is, Jesus, the Savior, and now his hour has come, his time has come. And how did they respond? The Jewish leaders, the crowd around them. Verse 29. The voice has come from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken. But in reality, what do we see? They don't hear. God speaks. And they're asking, was it thunder? Maybe an angel spoke. Jesus goes on to say, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. And yet they can't perceive. They cannot hear. Later on in the passage, in verse 37, we read that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe. And were asked why. In verse 40, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn and I would heal them. The words of Isaiah. They didn't hear. They couldn't see. Maybe some did understand something and yet they were full of fear. Verse 42, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because the Pharisees, they wouldn't openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. They didn't hear. They couldn't see. They were full of fear. And ultimately, they wouldn't believe. Verse 34, Jesus has just declared, my, the time has come, my hour has come, the seed's got to die, the seed's got to be buried in the ground and die and that will bring much life. The voice has come from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd speaks up. Oh, we have heard from the Lord that the Messiah needs to stay forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They will not believe. As John makes so clear, as we've already read in verse 37, that even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. The crowd, many of the crowd, the Jewish leaders, they didn't hear. They couldn't see. They were full of fear and ultimately they would not believe in a crucified Messiah. How can we believe this stuff? How can we believe? The Saviour? He died? How can we believe? God who made the world came down and died on a cross? 1 Corinthians 1, Paul puts it like this. One Corinthians one and verse uh, twenty-three and twenty-four. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, 
Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. This is Jesus in his glory. This is Jesus. He says, the hour has come. This is what I have come to do. I've come to save you. I've come to save the world. I've come to free you from your sin and your rebellion. I've come to make a way for you to come to the Father. And this is it. I'm going to be lifted up on the cross. And the crowd do not hear, cannot see. They're full of fear and they won't believe. Paul tells us, yeah, it's a stumbling block to the Jews and it's foolishness to Greeks. Who's going to believe in this? That God came to earth and died on a cross? Yet, for those who believe, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the question for all of us today, and particularly if you're listening to me and you don't know him, will you have ears to hear? and eyes to see this truth, and will you believe in a crucified Messiah? This is Jesus in his glory. He came for you, and he came for me. And the answer today is to come, surrender yourself to him, die to yourself, and rise to new life in him. To come out of darkness, and walk in his light. This is what he's been saying. Unless a seed, full of, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. He's talking about himself going to die. If it dies, it produces many seeds. But then he goes on. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Jesus was going to the cross, and he calls us to follow, to die to ourselves, and to rise to life in him. Jesus tells them, you're going to have the light a little while longer. He's telling them, I'm going to be taken away. But he calls us to follow. Walk in the light. Walk in the light now that you may become children of light. That we may follow him. Will you have ears to hear and eyes to see this truth? And will you believe the crucified Messiah? He's here for you today. He's here for you today. As Joe said just a moment ago, this is Jesus in his glory. This is Jesus, the one who died. Does that grip your heart? And if not, what will? This is Jesus in his glory. So the question for each of us today, will we follow or will we keep following this crucified Messiah? Jesus, the one who died and he rose, ascended on high, our crucified Messiah. But I've got a further question for us today. What could it look like? Maybe this is something Phil was getting at. What would it look like if we all really got this? What would it look like 
I can ask myself, what would it look like if I really understood? If I really... I really said everything, Jesus. Everything. Will we live this out? And will I ask the question, is this a turning point for us? Or for some of us? You see, the picture of the seed strikes me massively. The grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. Jesus goes on, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. In Matthew 10, Jesus said something very similar. Matthew 10 and verse 38. Let's go from verse 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. We have a saviour who went to the cross. In his death and his resurrection, we have total acceptance before God when we come and repent and say, God, I'm not going my own way anymore. I'm believing you. It's not me. It's not that I can somehow drum up the right actions or the right things or the right thing to do or the right thoughts or keep every thought pure somehow on my, in my own strength. It's only you. So therefore, I've died to myself and I'm alive in him. This is the gospel. It's what we, it's what we declare when we baptise. It's what we show. I've died to my old life. I've died with him and now I live new in Jesus. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Will I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus? Will I follow him through everything? Will I follow my crucified Messiah? Or rather, will I, as I so often do, choose my own comfort? Or give in to fear? Verse 43, For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Ouch. So easy to slip into. My cry to all of us today, for us as a people, let us see the countercultural message of the crucified Messiah. This is Jesus in his glory, not riding in on the big horse, as Blessed was telling us about. He came on the donkey into Jerusalem. He's not coming in to start a war and take down the Romans in some kind of big style and seat himself on an earthly throne. No, he chose the harder path, the greater path, the more incredible, wonderful, awesome path. And he went to the cross to save us. That we can follow him, that we can be with him, that we can have new life in him. 
He's building a different kingdom. Hear his prayer. In circumstances that we will never face because he faced it. My soul is troubled. So what does he pray? Father, get me out of here. No. Father, what about a more comfortable path, a more comfortable life? No. Father, what about me? No. Father, glorify your name. Father, glorify your name. As he will say elsewhere, not my will, but yours. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God. God, I am yours. You are king. I say all this because I'm challenged. Is this life about my comfort? No. Is it about his glory? Yes. I'm reminded again this week of the story of Marie Durand. I've probably said that completely wrong. It's a French Protestant in the 18th century, living in, at that time, very, very Catholic France. She was arrested at 19, having had other members of her family already arrested or killed, and locked in a, actually no, not locked, put in a tower, the Tour de Constance, again, terrible pronunciation, I'm sure, and she spent the next 38 years of her life in that place. And yet she could have left at any time with two words. I recant. I give him up. I turn away from worshipping him. That's more than two words. The two words were I recant. And yet Mary Duranda got hold of this. I am following the crucified saviour. I am his. I can't say it. I could walk out the door with those two words, but no, no. She spent 38 years of her life in that tower. He is worth it. He is worth it. And I guess my challenge to us is Phil's challenge. Will we shine up our armour? Will we put it on and say, it's all for you, Jesus. It's all for you. It's all for you, the crucified Messiah. This is Jesus in his glory. Is this a turning point for us or some of us? Perhaps for some, perhaps for me, a kick up the backside or a wake up call. Who are we? Who are we? We're the people of God. We're the people of the crucified Messiah. Jesus, the one who went to the cross and rose again. The king who gave everything. The king who died in our place, taking our sin. And he calls us, come, follow me. So what would it look like if we, as God's people, truly lived this out? Following the crucified saviour. The people of God living for him and his ways. This is what the gospel is. Jesus 
he died for us. And we die to ourselves and live for him. It's not a few wise teachings wrapped up in a nice book. It's not a group of rules or commands. It's not just coming to some great teacher or a good example or a set of ethics. It's certainly not a self-help project or a way of tossing up our achievements to kind of see if we're good enough. It's coming to the Saviour and saying, I am yours. And as he says, come, follow me. Come, I will make you fishers of men. Go and make disciples of all nations. Love one another. Remember the poor. Come, follow me. I wonder if at this time God is reminding us. He's certainly reminding me. Calling us back. This is who you are. You're my people. You have died to yourself and been raised to new life in me. If you are in Christ, this is what's happened. Therefore, can we cry it? Not my comfort, Lord, but your glory. I don't matter, Lord. It's all about you. This is who we are. The people of God, his church, his glorious bride. Through what Jesus has done. Countercultural people of God following the King, whose way of coming into his kingdom was to go to a cross and die and then rise again. The world doesn't understand it, it's countercultural. During this week, some of us spent two days on a School of Leadership Plus course. Uh, Talking about being the multicolored church. Two days on talking about race and diversity. Two days of painting the wonderful picture of being God's glorious multicolored church. People from every tribe and nation and tongue. People from every background. People from all around the world. People from every walk of life. A glorious, wonderful picture of one new man in Christ. Displaying the glorious wonder of what he has done and the glorious variety of cultures and backgrounds and at the same time yet talking about the ugly truth that racism is still so present in the world and so painful for so many came home on thursday after those two days to see presented in the news the story about a report of an incident involving the police and a 15-year-old black girl in a school in London, which I'm not going to go into any details of right now. But we are the people of God. I bring up that example because we have a call to be a shining light in the world. One new man in Christ. He is the one who breaks dividing walls of hostility. Will we follow our crucified saviour and hold out that he is the answer to every problem that the world has, every problem that we see in our society and the church is different? On the issue of race, I know they're very complex issues and I know I don't understand everything. I'm very happy to talk to people about it or talk with people. In fact, I'm more happy to listen. 
Will we fight for the wonderful picture of the church? Will we lay down our life? Not my comfort, Lord, but your glory. When it involves being blatantly and painfully countercultural, different to the status quo, standing up for the truth that the world rejects, but the world needs. This is Jesus in his glory, King of heaven, dying for me. I know it's getting late. I was challenged over these two days to look at the uh, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, or referenced it a few times. I'm not going to quote it now for time, but I'm really challenged by some of those words that he writes. He's replying to some local white pastors who at the time were suggesting, in my paraphrase, calm down a bit, wait a bit. Maybe you're just appearing a little bit extreme in your even peaceful direct action. I will quote some of it. Sorry. I can't make the point otherwise. I'm just going to confuse everyone or myself. But he said this. Was not Jesus an extremist for love? Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Was not Amos an extremist for justice? Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Was not Paul an extremist for the Christian gospel? I bear in my body, some body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Was not Martin Luther an extremist? Here I stand, I, can do, I cannot do otherwise, so help me God. And John Bunyan... I'll stay in jail to the end of my days before I make a butchery of my conscience. And Abraham Lincoln and Thomas Jefferson. So the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we follow our saviour, the one who gave up everything and says, come follow me? Not my will, Father, but yours be done. Not my comfort, but your glory. Not just, not that I can just have a happy life, but that your kingdom is advanced, Lord. This is Jesus in his glory. Will we hold out this glorious truth? Jesus is the answer to a world that is a mess. Sorry. Got an email from Tear Fund this week. I saw, just quote part of that as well. We've seen the suffering in Ukraine. The shockwaves from that conflict are reverberating around the world. Fuel and food prices are rising. We can feel that here in the UK, yet it is the poorest countries and communities, many of whom are already facing multiple crises that will once again bear the brunt. Across the greater Horn of Africa region, including Ethiopia, Uganda and Kenya, a terrible hunger crisis has been building following the worst drought there since 1981. Yemen and Afghanistan are also on the brink of famine. Conflicts and climate change are pushing millions of people towards total disaster. With the world's attention focused on Ukraine, there's a risk that the needs of these people will go unmet. All over the world, it's a mess. And here too in the UK, people broken, in pain, struggling, 
struggling with some of those things. But sinful, divided, lost, looking for answers from politicians, whether they're red, blue or otherwise, from the NHS, from pleasure, from self-help, from sex, drink, drugs, any kind of escapism, from whatever. It's a world that's in a mess, but here is the answer. This is Jesus in his glory. The crucified Messiah and his church, having died to ourselves, following him, taking his truth of the kingdom to this lost and broken world. I posted a link on the Church Life email this week to Mark's song, Will We Be Good News to Our Neighbour? I just reference it, that's challenging me too. It's beautiful and it's challenging. He's the king who loves. Will we take up our cross and follow? Will I follow him? Dead to myself, alive in him. Seeing his kingdom advance, seeing people saved, added, healed from every background, language, tribe, nation, worshipping together our glorious, exalted, crucified Messiah. This is Jesus in his glory.